0: Hey everyone! Welcome over to the Christ the King campus. Uh, if any of you are watching um, know this as your home church, we want you to get to see the space. And for all of you, um, I love the simplicity and the beauty of the way that we decorate this space for Lent uh, with the crosses and the purple candles. And we know that in a few weeks, all of those spaces will be filled with flowers. But for now, we have a little bit more learning and reflecting to do. So, the story of the Samaritan woman at well. Water finds our lowest point. Uh, let's see how much we know about water. What is the temperature at which water freezes? 32 degrees. And what is the temperature at which water boils? 212 degrees. Alright, now let's make it a little bit harder. Is that always the temperature at which water boils? Uh, not necessarily. It depends on one factor primarily which is? air pressure which is shaped by the altitude right so water boils when its internal pressure matches the air pressure outside so um, it depending on if it's higher or lower altitude it's gonna boil more or less quickly so if you're in Denver the mile-high city is it gonna boil uh, more slowly or more quickly more quickly probably around 202 degrees uh, Fahrenheit Now, water is both cohesive, which means it sticks to itself and adhesive, which means it sticks to whatever it touches. That's why we see water droplets looking so beautiful on plants in the morning. And this is also why water dripping out of a faucet is shaped like a teardrop, right? Because those water molecules are clinging onto the faucet until the very last second, trying to hold it. Uh, What about raindrops? Are those also teardrop shaped? They are not, if you look at them on high speed cameras, um, you will see that they kind of look, they're shaped like kind of a hamburger. Uh, And this is because the air from beneath the falling raindrop pushes up against it, flattening out a little bit while that cohesion of the molecules holds them together into that drop. So, the next time you're outside and it's raining, you can think of little hamburgers falling all over the place, which just for that alone, aren't you glad you turned into this? All right, how about compressibility is water can water be compressed Uh, technically yes Uh, there are industrial applications for this like in mining or in aerospace engineering if you need to cut through something without heating up the temperature uh, you can use pressurized water and if you get it pressurized enough Um, You can cut through with water, through plastic, through metal, even through stone. If you pressurize enough, you can shoot water out at like 600 miles an hour. Um, But in the normal world, barring crazy technologies, is water compressible? Um, No, it is not. Like, if you have a bag of water with a straw sticking out, if you squeeze the water, will it squish in and get smaller? Or will it just shoot out of the straw? Obviously, it will just shoot out of the straw. Or if maybe a better example would be if you think of the ocean, right? And you think of the water near the ocean floor, um, you know, where it's a mi- there's a mile of water above it, pressing down all the weight of all that water. Still, there's only an infinitesimal difference between the water pressure at the bottom and at the top. And all of this means, of course, circling slowly closer to our gospel reading, all of this means that water will always find its lowest possible point. Right? Water is always trying to get as close as possible to the center of the earth because gravity. Um, and so with incredible efficiency, water will work its way into any crevice or any path that will allow it to move downward. Okay, so water in the Bible, moving closer to our story again, it would be impossible to overstate the importance of water in Bible times. Um, and also of wells, right? Um, Partly because of that day and age in history, also because this all takes place in the desert, remember, right? So water source, um, nothing is more important. Wells were kind of the center point around which civilizations gathered. Um, Whole wars are fought over who gets to control a particular well. And in the Bible, encounters around these wells if it's between a man and a woman, often it leads to marriage. So if you think of the story, for example, of Jacob, who's referenced at the beginning of this story, right? Um, Jacob meets his future wife at a well, um, and, and so there's definitely, when Jesus and this woman meet at the well, there's definitely some kind of sexual tension almost behind the story, um, although it does not mean what we think it means. Uh, I think. Because if you are familiar with the story, um, you know, right, how it's most often been interpreted, um, which is that, like, this is a shady woman. She's a promiscuous woman. Look how fast she's moving through men. And so then the moral of the story becomes like, wow, if Jesus will talk to even someone like her, then probably Jesus will welcome you and me as well. But I, I think we could do better than that, you guys. I think that kind of interpretation Honestly, it probably says more about us and the way our society views women than it does about this particular woman. Because that's what we tend to do with women, right? In our society, we tend to reduce them um, to either like a saint-like virgin or, or the opposite. Either, either they're a hero um, or they're a villain. But either way, they're kind of a flat character, um, totally defined by one or two of their actions, as opposed to, you know, whole complex beings uh, like everyone else. Um, but i do think a closer reading of this text shows that this woman is definitely not a jesus charity case okay Um, she is she is neither hopeless nor helpless and there are three details i think through which we know this Um, and mostly if you were here last week it's because of how this story compares to the story of nicodemus that comes right before it in chapter three so first of all the first detail is the time of day because Um, When does this woman come to the well? Noon, right? High noon. And people have said, oh, well, maybe that's because, you know, she's so outcast and ashamed by her bad behavior that she's trying to avoid everyone by coming um, in the hottest part of the day. I mean, maybe, but but also um, the Gospel of John has this whole theme developed around light and dark. And, and light means understanding and faith, and dark means misunderstanding uh, and mistrust. So when this Nicodemus come to Jesus, he comes at night. He doesn't get it. This woman comes at day. She gets it. She has faith. The second detail is the tone of her voice. This is a pretty spirited exchange, right? And John captured it very well, um, and Greg both. Um, so like Nicodemus, this woman also mistakenly takes literally something that Jesus has said figuratively, right? That's Nicodemus does that too. Um, you know, Jesus says, you have to be born again. And so Nicodemus is like, okay, I got to crawl back into my mom and then come back out again. Um, and this woman, you know, she says, oh, living water. Okay, well, like, give me some of this water. So it's enough to keep coming back here. Um, but the way that they come across in those interactions, like Nicodemus comes off as totally clueless, right? Like, wait, what? I'm going to, like, go back into my mom? And how does she come off? Sarcastic, sassy, spirited, right? Oh, okay, then give me some of this amazing living water so I don't have to keep trekking back to this well again. Uh, and then the third the third detail um, are the words that she chooses to use when she goes back to the rest of the town. Right, she says, "Come and see a man who knows everything I have ever done." What is it that he knows she's done? Like, is it adultery and murder? Because um, you know, people think, is she is she kind of like a gold digger? Is she moving through husbands, maybe even killing off her husbands? People have theorized to get more money. Uh, maybe, but it is equally plausible, maybe more plausible, um, that she's a widow, right? And maybe she has been um, passed through elderly husband to elderly husband through Leverite marriage. So does he know her shame and shady past or or does he know her grief and, and her grit and her resilience? Um, we don't no, we don't know. And I'm so curious what all of you think of this. Like, I would love to hear your thoughts. This would be a great passage for Bible study. Like, what do you make of this character? How do you interpret her? What do you think is her backstory? Because if nothing else, the brilliance of the Gospel of John in this story, in the Nicodemus story, in the two more that we'll get remaining in Lent um, about the, the blind man and then Lazarus, the, the writer gives just enough like really specific details Um, to to make these characters developed enough for us to jump in in so many different ways. But for this week anyways, let's just go out on a limb. Let's go out on a limb and make a guess that, you know, like all of us, um, the hurts in this woman's past are some combination of self-inflicted, inflicted by others, and maybe mostly things that are nobody's fault at all, but things that just happen whatever they are, clearly somehow Jesus has seen and spoken to her lowest point. And something about how he does that seems to change her entire demeanor, right? And it gives the sense that she, kind of like Jesus was describing to Nicodemus last week, that she's kind of been been born again, been given kind of a new life. And a lot of that sense comes from one last detail that we should be sure not to miss. It's in verse 28, the second to last verse, and it's as she's running back to the town. What does she leave behind? Her bucket, right? Her bucket, the very thing that had motivated her to go to the well in the first place. She just leaves it lying there as she goes running back to the town to tell everyone what she's seen. So here's my question. What does this remind you of? What other Bible stories can you think of where somebody drops everything and goes running off to share some good news? There's two I'm thinking of in particular. The first one is Christmas, right? The angels to the shepherds. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Uh, and the second we're going to hear in just a few weeks when we finish Lent and get to Easter. And that's the angels to the women at the empty tomb. He is not here for he has risen and they go running off in fear and great joy. So think back in your mind through the dialogue um, between this woman and Jesus, um, and and try and think like, what is it specifically in this exchange that changes her so much? What makes her just forget that bucket and go running off? Um, Was it the chance that after so many centuries of waiting, the actual Messiah could be here, maybe. Um, Was it the implication that God is not just in Jerusalem, but also accessible to her and her people? Maybe, was it this idea of living eternal water? Maybe, was it just the fact that this man is talking to her at all, breaking so many social boundaries? Uh, Maybe. I do find her choice of words at the end to be just fascinating uh, because she doesn't say he forgave me everything I've ever done, which is maybe what we would expect her to say if she's like an ashamed and outcast kind of person. But no, no, she says, he told me everything I have ever done, which almost makes it sound like, like I don't think it was forgiveness that set her free. Uh, Maybe it was being seen, being known. And this actually, whatever the answer, this is a really good question, a really important question for all of us to be asking of ourselves and answering for ourselves, which is um, how has our faith changed us, right? What does our faith give to us? What does it mean to us? How are we different because of Jesus? And like we talk, you'll hear people talk about being saved, but like, what does that mean? Like saved from what? Set free for what? And um, those are not easy questions to answer. And even when we've answered them, they're not easy answers to put into words. But it is so, so important for us to do. And probably probably that answer will look, you know, a little different for every single one of us, um, which, is, which is great. But I do know, for me at least, um, I don't feel like I've been saved from hell. That's something you used to hear people talk a lot about and still do sometimes. Like Like a God that takes people who do bad things during life, and then when they die, sends them to burn in fires forever. Like, that doesn't sound like God. Who does that sound like? That sounds like us. That sounds like us and our obsession with you know behaving and punishing and trying to control people and their behavior through fear and shame. That doesn't sound like God. To me, faith is more, and I don't remember which theologian it was that said this, um, but it's this idea that, that faith, it's not about like assenting intellectually to all of the right ideas and premises. It's not about behaving in all the right ways or checking off all the right boxes, but fave instead is like relaxing in the presence of somebody that you already know is fond of you. Like, can you think of a person like that? Like um, who who you are, what do you like when you're with someone who you already know likes you, right? Like you're like bolder, you're, Um, you know, you're funnier, you're less defensive, you know, less needing to control anything. You're more open. It's just, it's just easy. It's comfortable. It's joyful. And you don't need to pretend or prove anything. You can just like be yourself. And and it's much easier in that situation um, to speak your truth. So maybe, maybe you are someone who is new to the faith, um, or maybe you are someone who's in a new place in your life, or um, maybe you're just a little bit out of practice, but, um, you know, you might be someone who it feels like that shift hasn't happened yet. Um, of being able to relax, of being able to be set free to drop, um, what has burdened you and go running off with joy. And, and that's totally fine. Right? That's totally fine. Uh, but if that is you today, just know that grace like water, it always finds our lowest points. So God is not primarily interested in our giftedness or our accomplishments. Uh, God seeks always our lowest points, those past hurts and fears that drive us in unhelpful ways or or keep us trapped and captive. And then God works there in those parts of us um, to heal us and, and to set us free. And then as in us, then the whole world. So whatever for you is your lowest point, um, whether it's, you know, buckets or sheeps or empty tombs, uh, may, may whatever once uh, held you captive, may it be left behind as you run forward with great joy towards, towards the cross and towards Easter and towards the new life that waits on the other side. Amen. Jesus, keep us near the cross. Let's sing.